Welcome to episode 123 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Telepractice Today. Unfortunately, one of our guests that we had scheduled to be on this week's podcast had an emergency at the last minute and could not join us as we were recording this episode. So we went back to our archives and we have this wonderful interview we did with Callie Knight. So with no further ado, here's that episode with Callie Knight. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Okay, welcome Callie to the podcast. Um, Callie, give us some of your background. Hey, well, I'm Callie Knight. I'm currently a school-based speech language, I can't even say my own name, speech language <laughs> pathologist. I work with preschool to sixth grade students. Um, I recently moved to Texas from Utah and it's fun adjusting to the school system here. Um, I've always kind of been, uh, work with my kiddos face to face, but since COVID's happened, I've turned into at least a part-time teletherapist, which has been very fun. And I think I can probably speak for a lot of the other people that, wow, that is a jump, but there, there have been some fun things about it. Um, I went to school at Brigham Young University. I did both my undergraduate and graduate degrees there. Um, anyone who knows me knows I am a narrative intervention and assessment junkie. I can in part blame that on some of the mentors I had at BYU, like Dr. Doug Peterson. Um, great mentor, great colleague, but that's kind of my area of emphasis. I love literacy and I love using um, narrative language intervention and evaluation with my students. And wow, I could ramble for forever. <laughs> That's a little <laughs> bit about me. <laughs> yeah. And we do, I share that too, that, um, I love using narrative language assessments. I have a weird caseload this year where I feel like I have a hole in those like upper elementary grades where I don't have a lot of kids in upper elementary grades. So I haven't used narratives as much as um, I have in years past, but uh, I too love and love Doug and is sharing people's. What are some of your go-tos when you're doing narrative language or just in general? Oh my goodness. I could go through whatever. The thing that I always say my go-to is the great thing about narrative language intervention is really all you need is your mouth isn't really just using storytelling as that means for intervention. 
So really my go-to is me and the kid I'm working with. And that's what I tell most people because everyone doesn't have access to materials immediately. Right. Um, in addition to that, if anyone knows me or of Doug Peterson, I love story champs, especially as building a foundation. It's for anyone who doesn't know what it is. It's a narrative language um, or a narrative based language curriculum that has retail and generation type probes and supports. I love using that curriculum just because it's evidence-based works. Um, you can also use books, use, wow, anything. <laughs> right. I just saw your recent post that you were using mini erasers as <laughs> like a narrative of uh, and like prompts for, for narratives. I loved that idea too. Uh, anything random to spice it up. right yeah and I have you used um uh Dr. Peterson's uh narrative language assessment too yes I use that mostly for progress monitoring I don't use it um daily in sessions I usually use it maybe every other week or every two weeks more as that independent what can students do independently um, and then I just take data a little bit differently day to day, but I love those. They're so structured. They get you that language sample, right? You just score it in real time. It takes maybe a minute for you to read the story, a minute for the kid to retell it. You've got a whole language sample there. It gives you that score and tells you everything they are or aren't using. It makes your life easy. So if anyone doesn't have it, it's free. Where can they get it, Kelly? Um, on Language Dynamics Group's website, I don't have a specific link, but I can send it to you if there's a way that you ever give your listeners links. But Language Dynamics Group. Please do. We'll, we'll share that. Yeah, oh, yeah we can put that in the show notes. And that is one that um, I've used for a lot of years, and it seems like they keep on, you know, like updating it and adding new things to it. And it's something that has translated very easily for me um, on using IntelliPractice because I can, you know, like have it right in front of me, the PDF and be scoring it while they're telling the story back to me. And there's not anything like extra or different I have to do uh, using it in IntelliPractice. So that's been a great one. And Callie, what advice would you give other telepractitioners in terms of focusing on on narrative development and assessment are there any things that you would besides using the program mentioned but uh, is there anything that you would recommend in terms of how they would adapt their materials and present materials to children um via telepractice or in general uh via telepractice okay um to be honest most of the things that i've used I can just hold up if I have a physical copy doing telepractice. Um, I've used a document camera once, but I'm very, I can barely get on my Zoom session sometimes. So sometimes adding that document camera (laughs) Mm -hmm. doesn't help. But most of the time, if I have something tangible, I'm holding it up in front of the screen. Um, Sometimes I'll share my screen if I have pictures of a story that I'm working on or if we're generating a story, then I might have some visuals that they can work with and I'm just sharing my screen. I know not all platforms for teletherapy provide that option, Um, 
But to be honest, most of the things that I would use face-to-face with a child, I'm able to use pretty easily via telepractice as well. Very good. So mostly you're just using the books that you had in person anyways. Exactly. And like I said, sometimes especially, I mean, I could do a whole entire explanation on this, but I usually start with retail to help my students establish this cognitive schema so that they can apply that cognitive schema to generating, you know, countless numbers of stories. So I don't stick with retail for a really long time because the end goal generally is generation. Sometimes I use retail if I want to keep working on comprehension, but I try to make the jump to generation as quick as possible. Um, Especially as kids get older, it's more aligned with curriculum. And when they're generating, especially if you're doing an oral language generation, all you've got to do is sit there and talk with them and give them those prompts and feedback. So it's not, you don't need anything to do that except for your camera that you already have on. So that's kind of the beauty of it. And so do you think it's better to work on those skills using a book or just having the child uh, tell a story that about something that happened to them, something that's very personal? Like, and so either retelling the story from a book or just coming up with their own stories. Totally depends, I would say, on what your purpose is. If you're working on something like retell, because really you have this two-pronged view when it comes to narratives. You've got narrative retell, so retelling that probe story and then generation making a brand new story and that could be fictional or personal. So if you're a person that's working on retell or trying to work on comprehension, then I'd say probably use a book or a probe story and go the retell route. But if you want to work on a generation, that kind of task, personal narratives are so motivating and I would do that in an instant and do that all the time. I used to do something, I still do occasionally, called an experience book. Mm-hmm. You probably know all about these, but uh, having the family, especially for very, very young children, and it's more, you know, just, you know, again, narratives and language, but have the family take pictures of the child doing different things, like going to the zoo is an example, and they getting in the car and everyone's together, they drive there to get out, they go in, they see all these animals, then they have a lunch and then they go home and kind of lay that out into an experience book. And I have found that these children love to talk about pictures of themselves. And and have you found that to be the same? Oh, absolutely. What I I mean, who doesn't like to talk about themselves or show (laughs) off? It's true. I mean, it's one of those social drivers of stories and narratives. That's one of the reasons I use them. I'm not always you know, pulling teeth, trying to get them to engage with me because they get to brag about themselves. Yeah. So what do you, what's kind of your sales pitch when people are kind of are like, well, why should I work on narratives? I have, you know, all these other things that I need to be working on that might seem like more academically relevant. Like I've got to get these grade level vocabulary words and things like that. What's, what's your, how you convince people to work on narratives? Oh my goodness. I could go up with so many reasons. And if I was talking to a person who said kind of what you said, I need my kid to learn these grade level vocabulary words. I'd say, let's get more bang for your buck, embed them in narratives, work on the other three goals that kid also has all embedded in narratives. The beauty is I love narrative 
based language intervention. That means I take whatever goal that kid has, doesn't matter if it's syntax, semantics, vocabulary, it doesn't have to say anything about narratives. I'm just embedding it into that context of a narrative. So you get so much bang for your buck. That way you can do narrative intervention, right? Which is working strictly on narrative language, which could be story grammar, which could be using certain tier two vocabulary words, but My thing is you get so much bang for your buck by embedding any language goal into narratives. Plus, if you want to talk about aligning with the academic curriculum, from kindergarten all the way up to high school, there is some kind of, whether it's Common Core Standard or whatever your state uses, that's going to talk about narrative retail or generation in some way, shape, or form. So it transfers really well to the general education curriculum because it's something they're already expected to do that you're embedding all of their goals into. Lots of bang for your buck. Don't have to do a ton of prep and we don't have lots of time and prep time as SLPs. So that's that's generally what I say in a in a very very short <laughs> condensed way. Right, right. I love it. I even had one of my high school students that recently was like, I have to write a personal essay about an experience. And he's like, I don't know what to write. And um, there was like, I think the teacher called it like an epiphany moment or an aha moment. And I was actually, they called it an epiphany. And I was like, you got to use some vocabulary that our kids understand because he didn't know what an epiphany was. And so he's trying to write this, this essay. And he's like, I don't know what that is even supposed to mean. So the minute that I told him, he's like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> so, um, and making sure, you know, that our kids do know that, that language of the classroom too, that they're going to have to use. Um, and yeah, so it, it works all the way from kindergarten up to, to high school, being able to tell a story about you and what's happening with you. Absolutely. Okay. Do you have some books that you like to go to in terms of just say, pick in your, you know, a, a child at a certain level? And what are some of the books that you like to use? So to be very honest, and people don't usually like when I say this because it throws people off, depending on what kind of narrative you're focusing on, if you're focusing on a narrative structure that has kind of a rigid character setting problem, you know, attempt to fix the problem consequence, the vast majority of children's books may or may not have a problem A, and then B A lot of times that story, even if there is a problem and an attempt, is so much more complex than we'd be asking those kids to produce anyway, that I, even if I do use books, I very, very rarely read them word for word. I browse them right before to see if they have the general structure that I'm working on with this kid. And then I'll probably use a couple of the pictures, like paraphrase the story, and then maybe do a retail or something like that. The truth is the vast majority of children's books, if you're working in elementary, will say if you just pull one off the shelf, probably isn't going to be the best bet (laughs) if you're teaching a certain structure. If you're just working on sequencing events as a narrative, then you could probably pull any book off of the shelf that you want. Um, But that's the thing that I always tell people is you just have to be careful if it, you have to go back to your why. What am 
I trying or what, what am I trying to target with this kid? Is it this structure with a problem that we're resolving or is it really just string together these related concepts? String together related concepts, you can probably pull any book off the shelf. That's what I do. If you're, there's a problem, you need to look at the book before and make sure that that follows the structure that you're teaching. Right. I've, I've thought that for a long time that we learned that kind of the classic narrative structure. And then you do look at a lot of books and you're like, oh, they don't have this. They don't, it, it doesn't fit that. Um, so I'm always excited when I do find some books that do have more of that like problem solution kind of uh, layout to them. I, I use a lot of the elephant and piggy books, depending on the book. A lot of them, um, I love There's a Bird on Your Head because <laughs> there's a couple different ways that they try to solve the problem of there's a bird sitting on your head and not all of them work and things like that. But it still has, it has a very basic like um, dialogue structure to it. So I can add words to it. I can talk about the emotions in it because they have lots of spa- facial expressions, but not a lot of words in it. So that's one that I've, as a go-to also, but I really, I, there needs to be some SLP out there somewhere. And Callie, you would be welcome to do this, that starts writing books that fit that structure for the rest of us to use, I think would be an awesome idea. <laughs> you want to know something funny? I mean, no, I'm not going to say that I've done this. I have not done this. <laughs> I'm, I think something to tag on to what you're saying that's funny is, oh, so many children's books, that we read don't have this structure. And then once they make the jump from these children's picture books, the second those kids get into novels, even graphic novels, you know, second, third grade, they're exposing those. Those ones are all about problem, attempt, consequence. You know, in every chapter, there's one, maybe there's an overarching one. So it's interesting that even with our little kids, we're kind of scrambling for those stories, right? To teach that structure so that when they get to those older grade levels where they have these novels that they're having to read that actually do have more of this, you know, problem, attempt, consequence structure. I've always thought that's interesting. So I agree with you. I need, I also have a list and I can send you guys a link. Um, I've started compiling some books that I have a list of that do have fairly good narrative structure. So I am more than happy to share that. It's not a very pretty spreadsheet, but I'm more than happy (laughs) to share. (laughs) Well, thank you for doing that. Yeah, that would be great. We can add that to our notes and be great resources for our listeners. Yeah. And you've also started creating some materials too, like with boom cards and things like that and a teacher pay teacher. Right. Right. So I have some resources that are either retail and comprehension based or narrative generation based. So again, kind of that two prong focus. Some of my resources are retail comprehension, some generation. Um, My retail and comprehension resources kind of similarly mirror what story champs teaches the the evidence-based approach that they use however especially for copyright reasons I only have some things like that that are very based on themes or holidays because I always tell people if you want if you like what I'm making you need to go invest in story champs I don't make general stories someone's already you know created that so I never get paid to say anything about story chance but you <laughs> talk about it just because it works and it gives you a lot of tools that you don't have to prepare as an SLP um, and then I also have some generation supports some of them are just like drag and, drag and drop scenes with um, interactive 
I'm having like brain farts here, graphic organizers to help with generation. And that can be just supporting oral generation or even working on writing and typing. I do that with my older students. Um, that's generally what I have, but to be honest, I, I make things really easy with narratives. I don't often use a lot of stuff cause you don't need it. You don't need the fluff. Do well, you, good to know. do you use any, <laughs> any apps uh, on like an iPad or anything? I don't. Okay. I, you don't have but, to. <laughs> but I mean, I'm always open to learning new things. I don't have a go-to, but that's kind of because I've just found that the simple little teeny tiny things I'm using are working, but that doesn't mean it would work for everyone. Yeah. I like, so anyone you know, has apps. yeah, we're all for the, the KISS method. Keep it simple. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, And I think especially for, you know, you and a lot of other SLPs who are switching back and forth between being in person and having to be online, the more that you can be flexible and not have to have like two sets of materials and, and everything and just know your basic um, strategies that you use. And that's, we've been saying that for months now, you don't really have to have a whole new skill set. You know, the strategies, you just have to be able to present them online. And that's the only difference. Absolutely. So have you had any epiphanies or aha moments <laughs> while you were doing, um, making the jump to teletherapy this year? Oh my goodness. Epiphany, aha moments. I've had a lot of brain fried moments, <laughs> but I mean, in terms of aha, I think it's been interesting to see, and I think this will be two different things. I hardly ever use anything digital just because I love my manipulatives. I just do, but I've actually found there are a couple digital things that I would have never found had teletherapy not become a thing that even with the 50% of my caseload who still is in person, I still use those things. And so for me, one of those aha things are wow, there are other things out there that I haven't seen that work really well. So I'm grateful for the resources um, that I've learned about. And it's been really interesting. There are some kids that, you know, did not do so hot on teletherapy. And there are some kids who it was horrible in person. And on teletherapy, they were just rocking it. And it's just interesting to see that even those kids that I thought teletherapy is going to be a nightmare, it ended up being those kids did so well. So I think part of that was a humbling epiphany moment for me that I shouldn't be judging every student based on what I think they'll do in different settings. And I've just, even with all my kids, to be honest, in general, I've been so impressed with how they've done with this switching back and forth. I assume it's got to be just as hard for them as it is for me. Well, that's yeah, a so. great insights for sure. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, Todd has talked about this too, having teletherapy be a tool that we can choose to use eventually when it's our choice <laughs> instead of being a forced situation, you know, having that as a tool that we can use and we can pick which, you know, families it will work for and kids that it will work for. So we hope that we can all get to that point. And it'll be so nice too, that we've all had, more of us have had experience with it. So if they're comes a situation where we need to use it, we're like, oh yeah, I can do that. I can jump in and, and try that for that family. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. It's, 
just giving the families the options. And then instead of everyone having to be in person or everyone having to be on, you know, through telepractice, we know that each service delivery model isn't right for every situation. And so if we can see this as a, another tool that we can use, we can then tailor that, that service delivery to, to maximize what is going to be most effective. And it could be, you know, in person, or it could be telepractice, or it could be a hybrid of the two models. And so it just really depends on what the child or the family or, or an adult that you might be serving, uh, what they need. And so that's, that's always been my sort of view of telepractice is, is another way to, to think about service delivery and what is going to be the most effective. So Callie, is there anything else, uh, any other ideas or insights that you'd like to share about uh, narrative therapy and assessment? But you mentioned some different ways to assess Anything differently in terms of uh, assessment and telepractice that uh, that you've had to adjust for? Um, I wouldn't say in terms of the way I would carry it out. I definitely have to make sure that um, my speaker is working well so that I can hear them clearly. I think most of it comes with I have to make sure that the environment is conducive to getting all of the data accurately. But in terms of administration, no, most of the time I'm getting a language sample, for example, of either a narrative retell or a generation. So as long as I can hear everything they're saying clearly to transcribe it and analyze it, no, it's pretty much the same as in person, which is really nice. Right. Great. And if other people would like to get in touch with you to have that may have questions about narrative intervention or assessment. Can Would you mind sharing a way for people to contact you? Yeah, probably the easiest way. I have an Instagram page. My Instagram handle is knighttherapy. Um, you can DM me. That's probably the easiest and most quick way to get me. I do have a website. Um, it's just knighttherapy.com. It's very new, doesn't have much on it, but I do believe that it has a contact me form. So if any of you listeners want to be the first one to try to contact me to see if it works, feel free. And if not, <laughs> use my Instagram because I'll definitely look at that. They'll win a new car if they're the first one, right? But so, yeah, if I can see it. Well, Callie, thank you for joining us on the podcast and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you. So that was an episode from 2020, I think December of 2020 with Callie Knight. And uh, definitely, Callie, we will be in touch and we'll bring you back on and you can give us an update of what's happened since this episode. And so with that, thank you for listening. Please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new listeners and to reach more subscribers, which is what we want. And we'll be back again next week, I promise, with a new episode with a very exciting guest. I'll just leave it at that. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.